Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects, and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate, and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation. In this edition of Impacting Jamaica, veteran educator Esther Tyson reminds us that teachers are a beacon of hope for our children. A former vice principal and principal of a few notable schools in Jamaica and a sought-after education consultant, Mrs. Tyson believes children need more playtime away from their tablets and other devices in order to do well academically. Join me for an insightful conversation with Esther Tyson on Impacting Jamaica. My name is Shelley Ann Harris. Hello, Mrs. Tyson. Welcome to Impacting Jamaica. Thank you for having me, Sherianne. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Now, I know you, uh, most of Jamaica knows you as a well-respected and beloved educator, administrator, teacher. What would you say over the course of your career are two or three of the biggest lessons you have yourself learned about the importance of education to Jamaica's development? But that's a big, very wide um, issue. Well, but I would say that one of the things I've realized is that given the state of our country in terms of the, the issue with dysfunctional families, uh, poor parenting in many areas, that I have realized that the school is a place where students find hope and I have said many times to teachers that you are the hope of Jamaica because for many of the children, if they find one teacher who believes in them, it makes a difference. I've seen it over and over. So that is the thing that the teachers are, play a significant role in shaping lives. Mm. The second is that it is through education that many families, the trajectory of the family changes. So you will have one person who catches a vision of what their lives can be through education, through buying into that vision that they can change their family, they can change their destiny by engaging and, and pursuing education. And that, that does happen and you see the difference it makes in the life of that person and not only their, their lives, but in their family's lives. So you, you said something very powerful a while ago that teachers are, well, you didn't say it this way, but teachers are a beacon of hope. That's right. Yes, they are. And the research says it. That many times, if a child, even if they come from a, a family that they are not supported, where they experience, you know, difficulties and nobody believes in them, if they find one adult who they can trust, who will look out for them, then because of that, their lives can be turned around. And I've seen it happen in the classroom, in schools, a number of times. And so... What would you then say that we need to do to empower teachers to to be this beacon of hope? Um, but, there's a lot of burden, you know. I, I, I'm related to so many teachers. 
So mm-hmm. I know the burden that they carry and I know the passion that they carry, but there are yes. also quite a few challenges, you know? Yes. So what, what can we really do to empower teachers to be this beacon of hope that you're describing and have seen? Well, one one positive thing that has come out of the COVID pandemic is I think our society is realizing more and more the value of the teacher. Yes. You see, when, when you have something taken away from you, many times that's when you realize the value of the teacher. And I think we need to stop beating down on the teaching profession as a whole. You have teachers in the profession who are doing excellent work. Teachers in schools that are considered underperforming, but in their class, they are doing excellent work. I am telling you. So we need to recognize, we need to find a way. Uh, and I think once, you know, Shelley, I discussed that with you, didn't I? I'm sure I did. Of doing some type of program, some feature that highlights teachers across the country who are doing excellent work and hold them up as an example to other teachers to follow. So I think that is one thing, recognize the value of the teacher and find ways and means to incentivize them because the teacher salary, as we know, it's not anything much. Mm-hmm. Um, given the, the rise in cost of living and so on. But it's not, the money is important, but the respect is also very important. The respect for the role that the teachers play in the lives of our children. Well said. Um, encouragement sweetens labor, we know. So recognition is a big way to go. And really the respect that you feel when you earn when you're earning, you know, something that's commensurate or comparable to what you are giving. Yes. Um, is, is a big part of it as well. Thank you so much for that. I want to, you know, leverage some of your experience now in terms of just getting your advice. You did reference COVID. You uh-huh. did talk about, you know, the, us now being able to see the value that teachers bring. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the young people to an extent. Um, yes. the young people in Jamaica have been out of the classroom for over a year now. Um, mm-hmm. they have not been able to socialize in the way that, you know, they're, they, they would look forward to socializing. Yes. Some uh-huh. of our grade seven students would not have experienced what high school actually really feels like. That's right. Um, so many things, you know, what would you, what is your advice to them as a teacher, as a parent, um, you yourself have, have three children. What what is your advice? Well, I'm a I'm a grandparent of seven. Oh, you're a grandparent as oh, I didn't even realize that. Congratulations. Yes. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so you so you know then you have a community around you of, of Yes, of yes, I do. Are I do affected by COVID and I, I gather that some of your children live in Jamaica and some live elsewhere. So right. then what is your advice to them as you know we look Well and I and I and I also am involved in a project with a high school. So I have to interface with the students and teachers online. So I've been just seeing some of the outcomes of, you know, this, this situation. Um, one is to recognize that we can't control what happens historically. We did not may have any choice at all in COVID-19 being here. So we have been thrust into this situation and we have had to adapt to it in a way that for some it works, for some it doesn't work. So I think one is to accept 
that we are in this unprecedented situation. Uh, when you think historically, uh, in the past, talk about the Spanish flu and what happened, and there are times, and even now, you think about countries where children are um, affected by wars. You know, they, they lose family members. Their lives are turned upside down, and somehow they must cope. And so as a country, and this is not just even Jamaica, this is a worldwide situation. We have to help, adults have to help our children to find a way to manage. They, they miss their friends. They miss the socialization. So they can't socialize at, 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 at school, but some them, there might be other ways that their parents can help them to socialize. One is the parent themselves probably to have small family gatherings, not big. Of course, we have the, um, the guidelines, but probably just to arrange for the young ones play dates with families that are in your bubble. You know, you you have a bubble of people you relate to, and you know that um, in terms of their their habits at home, um, if who what happens in terms of maintaining, you know, the the protocols for, and all of that. So it is possible that that can happen. You have a very safe bubble. You could arrange for the children to have in interaction it's in that bubble also as parents we have a greater responsibility we have to find ways to help the little ones so if you never had a family night before in your in your family activities then find a way to create one yeah, where you yeah. can play together with the children as a family i know the days on you're under a lot of pressure because you yourself have to be online and working and monitoring the children in school and all of this but the point is we have a responsibility to them so find ways to socialize with them in ways that you probably never did before to help them to just to understand social interaction. We are in danger of having the children just interacting with the tablet or the computer, you know? I mean, seriously, that is not healthy. Yeah. So that we have to find some other ways where we have human interactions. Important. So take an opportunity. If they if they like to hear stories, tell them stories, make up some stories, make up some stories about your family's history, you know, um, things that they never knew before. Find exciting ways of telling them about your life in country. If you grew up in country and they're just in Kingston and don't know anything about country life, get some um, games, some board games that interest them or go find a game, let them teach you a game that they like to play on the computer. So you are in their space. It's very important that we connect with them in their space. Today I was asking my grandson, okay, what is grandma to bring for you when I'm coming back home? And he says, ah, he's five. Ah, grandma, Ben 10, Ben 10 figures. I'm like, what? And I didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about. So I had to ask this older brother who explained to me that Ben 10 is a game, okay? And you have these action figures from Ben 10. So, of course, you don't have to go Google it and all of this type of thing. So their, their world is so different from ours. So let them teach you how you can engage with them in their space. 
That's pretty awesome. And I, I just learned a new game. <laughs> and I'm a parent. <laughs> and I'm a parent. So yeah, thanks for that. Um, what about the the actual learning, though, to the, in terms of the advice of young people? You know, um, I just got the reports for one of my kids who goes to a prominent high school. And, you know, one of the, the notes in it from the, the head of the school is that generally the, the children haven't done as well as they did academically mm-hmm. and that is you know not surprising you know, no it you isn't know. It's it, it, it is not and and i have my own views on how the whole thing is being handled mm-hmm. um because i think that i think we well, let me not go off on that. I'm not to be talking about I'm talking about how what advice give to the children. <sighs> I think all I can say is for them to focus as much as possible, but find ways just to relieve the stress on their minds to go outside and play. Mm. The young, to just to go outside and play and not just to be taken up with that screen because mentally that's not good for them. So I think if they get a, a break from the screen and all of that, then their minds will be refreshed and they'll be more they'll be able to focus more when they go back into class. Okay. Because because they miss their friends, they miss the usual activities. There are no co-curricular activities for them to be involved with and so on. So they have to take a break from that online space. And I think it is healthy mentally for them if they live somewhere where they can go outside, go do something else that's not related to school, you know, and it's not related to online activity so that they can refresh their brains that, you know, the cells, the brain cells can get some nourishment. It needs that. So I I am not telling them to go study more because I think they're under (laughs) enough pressure. I think they need to take up an alternate reality break. And the alternate reality for them is physical space outside, do some physical activities. So do I hear you saying that for you to do better academically, you need to have more space to do other things that are not... Of course, uh, of course, definitely. Mm, I definitely believe that. This is one of the reasons when I was at Arden, I developed a very robust co-curricular program because although there were some activities there, I am of the view that if a child is not doing well academically, if they find some activity in which they can excel and do well, that helps to feed into their academic performance. So I always believe in balance with our children. We must give them opportunities to go and do other things apart from academics. Thank you. I I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, a, a lot of us as parents are are trying to figure out what September is going to be. <laughs> yeah, and, a lot of a lot of educators do. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's a good lesson to to keep in mind the need for balance mm-hmm. as we approach a new school year. Now that we've done it a year before, we can use the summer to recalibrate and employ yes. the balance that you're talking about to the upcoming um, school year. Yep. I want to turn our attention now to a hot topic. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I I guess Jamaican society more than anywhere else, corporal punishment. 
Yes. Um, we have seen a number of gross abusive behavior, ab- abuse mm-hmm. of children in, yes. recent, in recent times in Jamaica. What are your thoughts as an educator, as a parent? What are your thoughts on the issue? Uh, one, I want to contextualize it. I think that we are, we tend to be a very aggressive set of people. I think we have become increasingly violent because of frustration and anger at the context in which we live. And this, you know, all of this anger. I mean, I remember um, Frederick, Freddie Hicklin's uh, giving some statistics that he believes, was it was it about 60% of Jamaicans have mental health problems? I, I'm not like quoting that, yes. him, some figure like that. A big and a, it is a big figure, I was shocked. I mean, I knew we had problems, but that really shocked me. And whereas when, when I, my children were growing up, I spanked them. Now, of course, they, they laugh at me now because they say, Mommy, you will come and then tell us the reason that we're going to be spanked. Mm-hmm. And then after you spank us, you say, hug us up and said, you know, if we, it's not because, we, you know, we are angry at you. It's because we need you to know how to be disciplined yourself, blah, blah, blah. And they're always laughing about that. So that's how we operated. So it wasn't, I never saw it as abuse because we tried not to spank our kids in anger when we were angry. Unfortunately, there are many parents are not doing that. You know, what we hear is butter bruise and all of, and it is really the, the, the anger of their, in themselves, it's not so much at what the child has done, but anger at their own situation and circumstances that they're taking out on the child. And that's abuse, you know. So I, I believe that as a country, we have to find other ways. If we can't discipline our children, um, using in terms of spanking and so on, in a disciplined, self-controlled way, then we have to find other ways in which we can discipline them. And there are other ways, you know. But um, we have a tendency towards violence in our nation. As bad as it sounds, you can see it. It is it, it just traumatizing, mm-hmm. you know, just even the way that men are treating women and the abuse, you know. And, and in the COVID, as you say, we hear more and more of the abuse that the children are getting at home. It, show, it, it is bringing out the underbelly that is so terrible and really showing how self-destructive we are as a people because when we destroy our children we are destroying our future and and to create and to abuse the children you are creating mental health issues for them and thereby you are destroying their future so we have to change it so if i i'm hearing you correctly there is a place for discipline in terms of spanking but there's also a vast difference in terms of some of what we've seen in recent times. That's correct. Banking is coming from a place of frustration and violence. Yes. And discipline. Yes, definitely. Definitely. But you know, Miss Tyson, mm-hmm. a whole heap of parents are frustrated, you know. I know, but we have, we have to con- we have to develop self-control and that is not a, a very strong feature of the Jamaican character. True. And, and so I, I think part of the, I'm wondering if part of the intervention has to do with, you know, more parenting support. 
Definitely. I, I've always believed in that. I mean, the, the, the Transformation in Education 2004 report mm -hmm. uh, recommended that the National and National Parenting Commission um, support be developed. And there is one, but it's not resourced to do as much as is needed in the country. Um, when as principal at Arden, one of the things that we developed was that parenting support. So if we, for instance, found that there was a class that we have a group of students who are really acting up, we called the parents in, we put in parenting sessions. I had what my teacher that I put in responsible for the development of such programs and human resource development was Joan Davis Williams. And what we would do either on a Saturday or early in the morning before school begins, we'd have parenting sessions. You have a series of them to address the issues that uh, we were facing. And what I found many times is that the parents were so grateful because many of them did not know how to handle the issues that they were being presented with. And so I also, this, I also believe that schools should be uh, a place where parents can get help because many of them really do not know how to manage their children. You're describing a holistic view in terms of education. Oh, yes. And it seems to be, you know, really very directly connected to the growth of the country, the real development of Jamaica. And yes, doing this, I think, for over two decades now. Okay, give me the number again. From the 70s. I don't remember how many years that is. <laughs> From the 70s. That's, that's a while. Um, before we get into the last part of our interview, I want to ask you where the passion for this, um, this field came from. Because you, you, when you talk about education, the parents, the children, you, you speak about it honestly with, with a lot of vulnerability, but also, you know, it would be good to understand where that passion came from. So, you know, those who are listening who may have an interest in education could glean something from it. Where did that question? I, I, when, when I saw that question, I thought about it. As a little girl, I loved to read. I mean, reading was my world. I would um, hide away in some corner. Whatever I got to read, I would be reading. My, my sisters were very annoyed because mama would send me to go tidy a room and I find a book and I would be sitting down and reading that book. But And I think it is that love of reading because through reading, I discovered a whole new world, something that I was not exposed to as a little girl growing up in Chapleton. You know, I found out so many things about other countries and life and all of this that it, it, it um, helped to develop my curiosity about life. And I think it is that love of, the, of reading that stimulated my interest in becoming a teacher because I've always wanted to be a teacher hmm. and a teacher of English. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was my first <laughs> encounter with you as a teacher of English. <laughs> yes. And so it, it reminds us that really what you expose your children to is, is part of how they develop their interest in their yes. long-term interest in life. Definitely, definitely so. All right. Well, I want to end our discussion by asking you to share three cool things about Jamaica, uh, your favorite spot and why, your favorite person and why, and your favorite food and why. <laughs> well, 
I have many favorite spots, but okay. let me tell you that I love the Blue Mountains. Hmm. I love the mountains when, even when I was a principal and I needed just to get a break, I would go to a little place in the mountains for the weekend and just spend time talking to God and just meditating, you know. And I still do that when I have a chance. I have a very good friend who has a house up in the Blue Mountains um, and he would allow me to go up there for some days. And that really, uh, the last time I went, I said to the Lord, Lord, I need you to lead me beside still waters and to restore my soul. And that's what happens when I go to the mountains. You know, I just sit down, I look on God's creation and I meditate and I hear him. And that restores line. my soul. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes. 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 And and so the next question then is your favorite person and why? Oh, that's my father. Okay. Tell us why. My daddy. He's not alive, but he and and more and more when I realize and I see Christian leaders who are just falling, you're not ending well, and I look back at his life and realize how much I learned from him by watching his life, by watching how he interacted with people, and I've not heard any story about him fathering some children in some place that we don't know about, about him deceiving anybody, stealing from people. My father was a pastor in the Church of God, and he pastored 10 churches. Why? Because he was somebody who planted churches. That's how he was. So he had all these churches over Northern Clarendon. But what he did was that he trained others to, as a team to lead those churches. So I told people, I always tell people, I learned leadership from my father because he was one who could recognize potential in someone and he would put them in places to help them to develop that potential and he knew how to share power, which is something that I learned from him. So as a principal, the same principle, recognize what persons have, their potentials. You must be able to see the potential in that person and allow them to grow, help them to shape them, give them the framework within which to operate and allow them to grow. And thereby, whatever institution, organization that you're involved with will grow so much more than if you hold on to power yourself and don't know how to help others to develop and grow. I saw, I really admired and still admire my father. That's such a powerful um, sentiment to share. And I really do hope that all the fathers who are listening understand the impact of their life on their children. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And so our final, our final um, question is about food. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, of course, it's Jamaican food. I love seafood. And um, yes, so I mean, I, I, am, I am in the U.S. visiting family 
and and uh, my brother-in-law and his wife took me down to Annapolis in Maryland. It is, okay. and they said, "Okay, what do you what do you want for for lunch?" I said, "Seafood." <laughs> so they took nice. me, and I had a most delightful seafood. But in Jamaica, I love my Escovich fish with yes. steam or yes. fried bami. <laughs> yes, or I go yes. to Gloria's with yes. my friends. Yes. You know? And yes, uh, so I quite enjoy that. Always a hit if it's done well. Yes, if it's done well, it's a good point <laughs> to add to that. Yeah. It has been a pleasure to sit with you for the last 30 minutes to talk about education, especially now when we, we have a little bit of break, but soon we're going to get into the gear of preparing for back to school. Indeed. And, uh, we, we really do value all the contribution you have made to education in Jamaica and are happy that you're able to share your insights with us for impacting Jamaica. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Shelley Ann. All the best. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email at impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.